broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. You got to score points to win. You can't win without scoring points. Touchdown Raiders! He went right through the line and gives Vegas a touchdown to extend the lead. Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Here's your boy Q. Many thanks to Scott Springer, Cincinnati.com, at S Springer Sports on Twitter, who joined us in the last segment. We need to get him like we did Bart Scott last week and have him in studio. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun conversations with Scott Springer from Cincinnati.com. We definitely appreciate him joining us to talk all things Trey Tucker and a little bit more when it comes to the Cincinnati Bearcats. Join us now on the phone lines as we kick off hour number three of the show is our good friend Mike Sando from The Athletic. Of course, you can find him on Twitter at Sando NFL. And, Mike, thanks so much for your time. We do appreciate you. I was checking out your piece, NFL Draft 2023, execs unfiltered on all 32 classes, Eagles overrated, did Jets crush it, or rush it. So helping us put a bow on the 2023 NFL draft is that piece. And we, like I said, appreciate your time this afternoon. When you talk to these executives, what are they looking for? Like when they, when they're trying to judge a class, cause we really don't know what the grade's going to be for a couple years till we see these yeah. guys perform. What are they looking for as far as value player, this, that, and the other, uh, when they're judging if the class was good or not? Yeah, I think there's some buckets. One is just how you maneuvered in the draft. I think picking up picks, in the future can give you flexibility. Let's just say if you're a team that might be in the market for a quarterback next year, right? It would be great if you could pick up uh, a pick in the future. So, for example, last year the New York Giants had two picks in the top ten. There were no trades in the top ten, so they had a good draft, but they didn't really have a chance to hit a home run because they didn't pick up uh, picks for the future. So this year you would look at a team like Arizona that isn't going to be very good, but they really loaded up for the future. If they need to make a decision on Kyler Murray in the future, they could have some draft capital uh, to do that or just to build out their roster. I think that's one. Uh, the other, sometimes it just falls for you, right? Uh, uh, you know, Maybe one of the highly rated players who, admittedly, we don't know if they're going to be great, falls to a team that uh, really had a need there. Or you could see this makes a lot of sense. Uh, is there a maybe a higher risk player that a team picked really early out of desperation, which could be a team like Indy at the quarterback position. So, you know, no one's really declaring winners or losers, but you look at the trade-offs, the potential decisions. Did you really need an offensive tackle, but they were all gone when you were up in the second round? If you're a team like Tennessee, should you have done more to get a wide receiver, right? Those are the types of things that I think are just good discussion points without just saying somebody had a great or terrible draft. No, that makes a lot of sense. And again, we're talking with Mike Sando from The Athletic here on Raider Nation Radio 920. So when you talk about trades and you think about what Houston did, they went and got C.J. Stroud that immediately traded with the Cardinals so they can go get Will Anderson right after that. How is that kind of looked at by different NFL executives? Uh, definitely with the amount that was given up, right? I mean, that's always going to be um, talked about. And I think it's, you know, to be fair to Houston – uh, it's really easy for everyone else to say what they would have gotten for a price. Right. right. You immediately compare it to two other moves that were exactly the same, going from 12 to 3. And a couple of years ago, the 49ers did it and gave up a little bit more, trying to get Trey Lance. And then if you go back 10 years, uh, the Raiders actually moved back from 3 uh, to 12 with Miami, and Miami only paid a second-round pick to do it. So the price can be totally different based on what's perceived to be available in this case, Houston paid a lot, but they got they got 
one of the top two quarterbacks in the draft, and they got what somebody, some people think might be the best defensive player, certainly one of the very best. So when you look at that for a team that's had no juice, now you can see a future with D'Amico Ryans, with C.J. Stroud, with Will Anderson. You don't know how they're all going to do, but that's a lot better than it looked you know, 10 days ago for them, they had nothing. Right. No, you're right about that. And you bring up that uh, that trade from 10 years ago when the Raiders traded back from 3 to 12 and only picked up a second-round pick. Mike, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I'm, I'm no draft guru, but I couldn't believe it that that's all they picked up. And really, it didn't work out for either team, right? They got Deion Jordan in Miami and the Raiders got DJ Hayden, but they didn't really get any extra capital except for that second-round pick. I don't know how they came away with so little. Like that, that never made sense to me. Well, I think it was a situation where they were very late in the clock. Uh, they were trying to make a trade, and nothing was coming together. I think they knew they wanted D.J. Hayden, and I believe that w- weren't there medical flags on him? And yeah. So they may have known that, look, no one's going to take him this high. I'm not saying this is a good process. This is what I think happened. <laughs> and so at the end, they're like, shoot, we think we can get him later. You just sort of take whatever you can get almost to move back, and it probably – Saved him a lot of money, too. Yeah, no, it probably did. But, yeah, he was the young man out of Houston that, you know, basically, I don't want to say almost died on the field, but he almost did. And he, yeah. remember he ended up having that open open heart surgery or open Scary. chest, whatever it was. It was bad. But, um, yeah, he ended up he ended up doing okay and sticking around the league for a while. He just wasn't very good with the Raiders. Again, Mike Sandoz, our guest from The Athletic here on Raider Nation Radio 920. DeMond's got one for you. We like to joke on this show that everyone always says that next year's draft is going to be better than the one that we just had. <laughs> so what do you think about some teams that maybe there weren't that many first-round graded players in this year's first round? Yeah, well, some of I agree with you. That is sort of like a thing, you know, it always looks better in the future, right? I think one thing that has affected uh, the draft probably is the NIL thing in college, right? So you, there's probably more players who have an incentive to stay in college as opposed to, hey, i, I got to make some money here, right? I mean, who's going to stay in college if you can make a lot more money or any money? But I think now that you can make good money um, in college, there's probably been some more people, like I think a bunch of quarterbacks who maybe could have come out, um, you know, haven't. And so you could potentially see uh, some players who stayed in college longer suddenly come out and have it to be more quality in the future. We'll see if that happens. I don't think we, we know that, but that would kind of make sense to me. It was a theme this year of teams just, I think, more than normal saying, um, you know, it got a little hit and miss of, uh, as we went on the draft. And there were surprises. Like, I think there were more surprises where, like, a guy went in the third round of the team was like, we, were, we didn't know if he was draftable. I heard that more this year. Speaking of quarterbacks, though, the first, three, the first three that were taken all in the top five, what were the thoughts around the quarterbacks, or was that what everyone expected? Because I know, for me, it was a surprise that Anthony Richardson went to the Colts. To me, it was a, it was a little bit of a surprise that you know Levis went so late, Will mm-hmm. Levis. Uh, but I think the quarterback is the one position where uh, not every team's going to draft one high. So if you do get out of a certain realm of teams that are – hungry for a quarterback, like there's no teams in the back half of the first round that necessarily need one, right? (laughs) Most of those Mm -hmm. teams have a guy. And so if you have somebody like Will Levis, who is, you know, good, not great, you're not going to just break up your whole team to take him in the first round. So I get the reason teams fall. I think it was a perfect storm for Anthony Richardson in the top five, though, because the Colts were so desperate. I think they, they probably had a mandate from their owner that they have to get a quarterback. And if this was the first year of Chris Ballard as the GM coming in, 
maybe you would feel like, okay, you know what, we, we like Anthony Richardson, but that, whew, that's rich in the top five with 13 starts. Let's, you know, see if he falls or maneuver. I don't think they had that luxury. So when the first two guys went one, two, they're sitting there at four. I don't think they could, they felt like they could afford to wait to the second round uh, because of the desperation they have at quarterback. So I've got to ask about this because it's very intriguing to me. Something real interesting. The Eagles, when it comes to <laughs> just drafting all the Georgia Bulldogs, what have you heard from teams about that process when it comes to, hey, if the team's in the in the Power Four, excuse me, in the Power Five, and they're competing in the conference football playoff every year, how about we just draft their best players? <laughs> Sounds like a pretty good plan, and I think they have some people on their staff and on their roster already who – uh, have the Georgia connection. So I don't know if that, I think it was definitely came into play with the Jalen Carter selection in the top 10, given the risks that come with him. I think they felt like they had a team that could give him the best shot to go, but it's a little dangerous. I think when you're already a good team, you know, it's a lot easier to get away for, it's a lot easier to make exceptions when you draft and think, you know what, we're getting this amazing value in this guy who fell or, uh, Hey, you know what? we're going to fill this need with a guy, right? And I think a team like, if you look over the last 10 years, I think Seattle fell into that. They had those great drafts early on with Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, Cam Chancellor, Richard Sherman. I mean, these guys, you you could name a round and they were taking a Hall of Famer with a process that was more, uh, you know, big picture and not so need-oriented. Then I think as they went along, it was like, we got to get Percy Harvin. we got to have Jimmy Graham. Oh, we need a defensive end. We're taking L.J. Collier. And I think the last couple of years, they sort of recentered themselves and said, wait a minute, we're not getting anywhere doing this. And they they hit on some players like Tariq Wollin, uh, you know, that they maybe wouldn't have even drafted uh, a few years ago. So are the Eagles heading down a similar road where, you know, you're, you're going to win the press conference the next day because we got Jalen Carter amazing, but there's reasons he fell, right? So maybe you're in a little bit of a higher risk world uh, now because you feel close. You feel like, hey, we just let's take the chance on the upside. Uh, and you know, when you do that, you're going to miss maybe some more too. Mike Sando is our guest from The Athletic here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Necessary Roughness did want to ask you about a couple players in the Raiders class in general. Tyree Wilson, the first player drafted. They were the, he was a defensive uh, lineman out of Texas Tech. Uh, what was the overall consensus about Tyree at number seven? Uh, I mean, just might be the best player in the draft. He's a top two player in the draft, and obviously he fell because there were some injury concerns. And, you know, when you're drafting that high, a lot of times teams will be like, hey, but let's make sure if we can get somebody we love who's completely clean, right, with a, with the medical or whatever the concern could be. Some of these guys like Jalen Carter have other concerns. You, you tend to take that player early. So I think they have got a potential – all pro pro bowler, uh, you know, with a, with a little bit of a concern, uh, mm-hmm. over the injury, but people really loved him for the talent. Yeah. And he's uh he's, I think he's a guy that is still developing, right? I mean, he's not really exactly where he needs to be, but you can see that he has that room to grow and he's got the talent to continue to grow. So I got to ask you about the second round pick, Michael Mayer, the tight end out of Notre Dame. I thought he was a first round guy. He fell in the second round. Interesting group of tight ends. And it, it was kind of, kind of like, uh, beauty in the eye of the beholder position, right? There were, there were five or six guys in this draft that some teams loved more than others. And I think the thing about Mayer is, let's say compared to Adult and Kincaid, probably 
less dynamic of an athlete in the receiving game, Mm -hmm. but probably a better sort of all-around tight end. And so depends what you're looking for. If you want the better all-around tight end with the ability to play in some traditional sets, you know, as as kind of what they call a Y tight end at the end of the line of scrimmage, uh, maybe a Michael Mayer uh, fits your offense better. But if you're looking to use him flexed out almost all the time, like Buffalo probably is with Dalton Kincaid, you maybe liked him more. So uh, I think it will be interesting to see is Mayer really less dynamic? Is he not going to be making you know some some huge plays after the catch? Is he going to be more uh, you know move the change in the passing game and just a, a good solid player? That will be interesting to see how all that plays out. When you've seen what Josh McDaniels has done in his offenses and with the tight ends that he's had, uh, how do you think a Mayer fits into with what Josh McDaniels likes to do? Well, one of the executives I quoted in the piece I think made the point that you know. I think Josh McDaniels has, or at least they did in New England, do a good job of getting tight end open without him having to just absolutely, you know, undress the DB with an amazing move with the play action and some of that stuff. So getting him some easy completions. Uh, I think we expected to see more of that last year, obviously, with Darren Waller, but he wasn't healthy, wasn't out there. So they get a guy now who is a Josh McDaniels guy, right? So uh, for better or worse, you know, maybe they like that and then plug him in and he should be able to do the things they want to do, especially if they can get him open on some of these easy completions. Mike Sandel from The Athletic is our guest here at Radio Nation Radio 920. Go ahead, Damon. One of the um, funniest quotes from the article I've got to say is, they're looking for their Brock Purdy, an exec said. <laughs> what do you think about teams having that mindset of, hey, we'll get a guy later in the in the draft and maybe we can develop him into our starter as opposed to, traditionally finding that guy in the first or second round. Yeah, I think it depends on your level of need. So that quote was was about the Rams because they drafted Stetson Bennett in round four, but they don't have to have a quarterback this year, right? I mean, they have Matthew Stafford. Maybe he's going to play another year or two. Who knows? But they're not just like in an absolute have to have it. I think if you really need one, you know, that's when you're taking one at the top uh, of the draft. And when you when you don't need one, I think can be a good time to draft one and just take a shot on some of these guys in the middle round, see if you do develop them, see if they look good in preseason, see if you can get value for them. It's hard to do generally because let's say you have seven picks, you got a bunch of needs. It's hard to just take one on a quarterback you don't need. But a team like the Rams that had 14 picks, right? Hmm. I mean, why not work one in there? Uh, if you like a guy and you feel like there could be some upside, doesn't mean he's going to be any good, but you do see, you know, occasionally, and I think – Everybody would point to the old Green Bay model with Ron Wolf there in the 90s when they were taking, they had Brett Favre and they were taking Matt Hasselbeck and they had Kurt Warner in camp and they had, you know, Ty Detmer and Mark Brunel. <laughs> Some of these guys went on to become uh, good quarterbacks. Now, to that end, you need a development plan, I think, too. So if you look at the case of Setson Bennett, is that a good development plan with, uh, with Sean McVay? It's probably better than some. Aiden O'Connell was quoted, or there's a comment on him is, Aiden O'Connell is like a statue. He cannot move, but he makes fast decisions. <laughs> so it's interesting McDaniels took him when Tom Brady was that way as well. What was the overall thoughts on Aiden O'Connell? What do you think he could do in the NFL? Yeah, I think it's good for him that he doesn't have to come in and start right away. And you just look, anytime to me an offensive coach uh, likes a quarterback, then I'm curious to see what it means. And I don't know anything about Aiden O'Connell, if he's going to be good or bad. We, we, you know, I haven't studied him. I'm not an evaluator. But if Josh McDaniels likes him and wants to take, him a look, you know, take a look at him, why not? Because look at who their starter is right now. 
Right. It's somebody who was drafted. I, I, admittedly, in New England, they thought Tom Brady was winding down. They took uh, Garoppolo in the second round, but uh, I'm kind of all for it. Uh, I think teams should, should, in theory, do that more if you have a guy you like. When it comes to the running back position, you've got the people on so far towards the whatever end of the spectrum that say, hey, don't take a running back in the first round no matter what. And then we saw two running backs go in this year's first round. What are execs saying when it comes to that just juxtaposition on the value of the NFL running back? I think you have to envision what kind of player he's going to be. Is he a three-down player who affects the passing game? it's probably easier to justify taking one early. The reason you don't do it is because so many running backs have been found later. And also when you sign one, when you draft one really early uh, at that position, the rookie salary is closer to the top veteran salary. So somebody, uh, you know, like, uh, like Atlanta um, took B. John Robinson at number eight, he's going to enter the league already as like a top 15 salary. If you were to take someone at defensive end, he might have the 42nd salary. So there's a little bit of a kind of a surplus value, right, if you take someone at a different position uh, and, and he's good. That being said, I mean, I think you don't want to overthink it too much either. If you think Bijan Robinson is LaDainian Tomlinson, right, or just somebody who changes your entire team, I think you have to consider that uh, even at a higher pick uh, while maintaining in your mind, look, that's the exception, not the rule. You don't want to be taking backs early as a general rule. Mike Sandals with us from The Athletic here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Necessary Roughness. Just had a couple more questions for you. Lamar Jackson got extended on the first day of the draft, and it kind of almost slid under the radar, almost one of those where yeah. it wasn't talked about very much because, well, the draft kicked off a couple hours later. Then you saw what Baltimore was able to do. I've always respected their front office. I thought they made a lot of good decisions. How dangerous is this team that they're putting together in Baltimore now that Lamar is happy and got his contract? That's a lot more dangerous because, man, it was going to be bleak if they had to go through this whole offseason without Lamar in camp, you know, without him, with him being sideways with the team because, remember, they have a new offense. Mm-hmm. So how was he going to come in, you know, let's just say he's held out for camp and then came in in September and he, and he doesn't know the offense? It'd be a disaster. So uh, I think this gives him their best chance. I did think it was crazy. I know I don't know if he was 100% serious, but talking about throwing for 6,000 yards in a season, I mean, I don't think they're going to have that type of offense. <laughs> right. you know, I don't think anybody is. That's Peyton Manning on steroids with, you know, uh, that's just not going to happen. But uh, I think it will be interesting to see how their offense changes. Is it cuz really, even though they've been a run-based offense, they passed more uh, with Lamar in there the last year or two. So uh, is it going to be just a dramatic difference where they're throwing it all over the yard? I, I don't know that it is because I don't think that's John Harbaugh. I think he's still a defense special teams coach. So I think it will be fascinating to see uh, how, what the offense looks like. Certainly they're way better with Lamar in there. I think it's great that they got this thing behind them, and now you can actually evaluate him in a, in a little bit of a different system, hopefully with a couple of weapons here in Zay Flowers and OBJ. Final question for you. As far as the AFC South goes, you look at all these teams and you look at all these quarterbacks and they're all young. Trevor Lawrence is the old man of the group and he's a young cat too. How do you see this shaping up? You know, how, how do you look at these teams competing uh, throughout the course of the year with all these young guns behind center? Yeah, I think Jacksonville's still the team to beat, just the roster to beat. And you probably, you know, a little bit more of a sure thing in Trevor Lawrence, even if you don't think he's amazing. He, I think he showed himself to be a, a pretty good starting quarterback. I think it's really interesting how the other teams are going to do this. Because Tennessee's probably not playing Will Levis right away. Uh, even Indy 
has tried to put the brakes on. You know, we'll see how well Anthony Richardson does in camp. Maybe he just, you know, grasps everything right away and is ready to go. Uh, but I think they have sort of hedged a little bit. Hey, he's not Superman. This could take a couple, two, three years, right? So I think how quickly they all play probably clears the, the way for C.J. Stroud uh, in Houston to have the biggest impact and maybe have the, you know, have somewhat of a chance. Now, we'll see the rest of their offense is not very good. We'll see what they can do the rest of this offseason. But I think he's going to be the guy who plays the most with it being Jacksonville's division to lose. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It'll be a fun uh, division to watch just with all those young quarterbacks and just to see how they develop and see which ones are good and which ones aren't. Because, look, yeah. as many as many as were drafted, Mike, we all know they're all not going to pan out and be great. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, some of them will never be better than right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. Well, your piece is out on The Athletic. Uh, NFL Draft 2023, execs unfiltered on all 32 classes. Eagles overrated. Did Jets crush it? Or rush it again. You dropped that on Cinco de Mayo. Really good piece. Thanks for jumping on and talking to us about it. And uh, also, what do you got coming out that we should be on the lookout for? That's a great question. You know, I, I don't <laughs> have a big piece coming out now. I'll start working on quarterback tiers. You know, we do the yep. quarterback tiers project that'll come out in the summer. So that's probably my next big thing. And then once we get to these OTAs, you know, could be a couple of days off for people who cover the NFL. So look forward to that too. Well, I'll tell you this. Every year we talk to you about the tier that Derek Carr is in. This year we won't. We won't ask you about Derek Carr, but we'll ask you about Jimmy G. So there'll be that, Mike. So just prepare yourself yeah. for that conversation. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mike. We appreciate you. Okay. Thank you. All right. There he goes, Mike Sando. He's talked to us every year about Derek Carr. This year the conversation will shift. It'll be to Jimmy G when he's doing his tiers of quarterbacks. And I can probably take a guess and say they'll be in the same tier. What tier was he, Carr in three? I think he was in three last year, right? Yes, in the way he grades it out, he almost, was, he was, he was, he was real close to two. Okay, so you think Jimmy G is about a tier three? I don't think he's as close to two. Yeah, maybe not as close. So yeah. let's say if Carr's 12, Jimmy G's probably maybe 16, 17. 16 or 17. Yeah, yeah we can that's look fair. at next year's number. But yeah, yeah. That, that's a little bit of us uh, just guessing of what it's going to look like when Mike Sando puts together his tiers. But the thing, again, I like about Mike's pieces that he puts out, it's not just him sitting in a dark room by himself coming up with these ideas. It's actually based off of people he talks to, NFL execs. It's not, like I said, it's just not spitballing. It's not like me, Damon, and Fenn are sitting around the, 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 the table here and like, all right, who do you have in, in tier one? All it's right. not the demonster grade. No, it's definitely not because we know the demonster grade would never, ever get published. 422 is the time. We'll come back, get to your calls and text. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. To your point, coach, got to stay ready. Lonnie Walker guarded by Curry. Walker, pull up. Walker hits another one. It's the Lonnie Anthony who? LeBron who? The go-to guy for the Lakers is Lonnie Walker the fourth. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. As painful as it is to hear that, you got to tip the cap to Lonnie Walker of the Lakers. Got to tip the cap to the Lakers in general. Coach Ham, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and company, even Schroeder. I don't like to give him credit, but I got to give him credit. Got to give the Lakers the credit, man. Oh, you got something actually against Schroeder, though. No, it's just, you know, he, he's one of those guys <laughs> that you could tell that he's one of those jokesters, you know, that you probably don't like if he's on someone else's team. But if he's on your team, you really like him. But when Draymond did whatever the hell Draymond did last night, get in the air and decide he was going to throw the ball to just throw it away, he just looked at Draymond like, really? You did that with a big old smile on his face? And I was like, yeah. 
Yeah, if I was on the other team, I'd be looking at Draymond like that too. But since it's my team, I'm not looking like that. I'm thinking, what in the hell were you doing? I don't know what the hell the Warriors were thinking. They just really, man, they've played, and they've done this all season long, so I actually I should not act surprised. They've just really almost acted arrogant to the point where they disrespected the season. They just kind of disrespected the rest of the league. Like, oh, we're the defending champs. And I don't think this is the mindset, but this is how it comes off. It's just like it feels like they, eh, we'll just turn it on when we need to. And, oh, we're really good. And everyone's going to be great. And it's like, surprise, surprise. You just can't do that all the time. And every one of them, from Steph making the bonehead decision against Sacramento, the timeout with no timeout that he got away with because, no, they didn't lose the game. But if they had lost the game, we still would be talking about, you know, Steph Weber. I think Clay Thompson called him Steph Weber right after that, right? Because that's that's all we remember. He got away with that one because they they won. But last night he comes up with a a, 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 a grabbing the ball after after Wiggins won the tip over Wig, uh, over uh, Anthony Davis, and then Steph throws it out of bounds. He just flips it over his head like here here you go. You got a timeout, dummy. Call timeout. I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, and also I think it's the arrogance of you've got at least. Four guys on that team who all think that they're that guy, and only one guy should think that he's that guy, and that's Steph Curry. But some of the shots where you see Clay Thompson, I know that he's got the resume, but it's just that's a bad shot. You're not in rhythm. You're just coming down, throwing up a three, yeah. and it's. But I'm Clay Thompson, so it's good. Yeah. Or Jordan Poole, where shot. he he's. Did you see the quote from him after the game, where it's uh, basically him saying. Hey, you know, we, no one's questioning your worth ethic. I like the way the reporters phrased it yeah. because it was, hey, his back was turned to us the entire time for this oh, yeah, media session. Yeah, yeah. And then he has to turn his music down. So it was like the locker room kind of gets a little quiet because Jordan Poole is now about to speak to the media after he turns his music down. And he's like, yeah, I work hard. You know, my work ethic, none of that's changed. Just the playing time. Right. And you can't control and you can't control that. Got to focus on what well, you Well, you know what? Play better when you're in the game. Right? <laughs> Stop acting like a damn Harlem Globetrotter. <laughs> He is the most frustrating player. If he's not back next year, I'll be happy with that. I mean, and I said it after the Warriors won last year that I thought that that was the last championship. I, I really did. I honestly think that everything fell in the right position for him last year. It really did. It lined up pretty good for him to make that run and win the championship. So I was happy that they got that because I didn't think that I didn't think they were a championship team last year, and I sure as hell knew they weren't a championship team this year. I didn't think they were going to be piss poor on the road like they were. That was embarrassing. Like, come on, dude, you can't win on the road. You just like you just don't care. Like, come on, dude. Yeah, and Anthony Davis, for people that say, oh, he's going to have an off game, it's every other game. He's, th- still, he's still questionable. He disappeared. He's still, he still disappeared in the second half. Like, he was killing him in the first half. And then it was like, oh, no, you take the ball, Braun. Here, you take the ball. Like, he was, he was not having it. What did he score in the first half? Like, 20-something? And then scored a, a, a handful in the, in the second half? Like, he didn't do hardly anything. He played a little defense. I get it. But LeBron, after the game, oh, he's the best defender in the league. No, he's not. Get out of here. AD is okay. He's he's fine. LeBron pumping him up. His jersey's going to be in the rafters here in in in, in the in the crypto center. No, was not. No, it's not. Nineteen points in the first half. What do you have in the second half? Let's give it a look, Ski. I knew he had at least nineteen in the first half because he was having a damn good game. Everyone's like, "Oh man, here goes that second game." But he, he was just okay. Finished with twenty three. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's all I need to know. And I know he did other things. Don't get me wrong. I get it. Before someone calls in, he played defense. I, yeah, he's supposed to. Yeah, he's supposed to grab rebounds. Steph had a triple-double and still had a bad game because he had a lot of bad decisions, a lot of, a lot of turnovers, got loose with the ball. Those guys just, man, they start whipping that thing around there, and they, they just they get out of control, man, turnover after turnover after turnover. Hell, GP2 threw up on the damn court and ran to the locker room. 
That's when Draymond threw the ball and there was nobody there. He threw it to the Laker coach. I don't know if you saw that. He was expecting Gary Payton the second to be right there. He wasn't there because he threw up on the court. I, I did see him. Did you see he threw up and then he held it in his mouth yeah, like exactly. a real G? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, mm. Mm. then he ran. Yeah, and then he ran. He was out of there. But, I mean, to his credit, he held on to it. But I, I ask, why did he have to throw up? Was he out partying the night before? That's what my mom used to always say. That's what my pops used to say, too. Whenever we see something like that or a guy look like he was exhausted or fatigued, like, what was he doing? He must have been out partying last night. You never heard that? We say oh, it all the yeah. time. We say it all the time. Whenever you see guys playing piss poor, oh, they were out, they were out partying last night. That's what, it, that's what I thought when dude throws up on the court and then runs, runs to the locker room. Like, what were you doing? Hey, man, that's how hard he was playing, man. I mean, his body. Was he? Just couldn't, was he? couldn't give any more. Was he? Said, he? I got I got it. He's got to get some rest. Yeah. I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe you're right. I mean, maybe it could have been something. I I know Kevon Looney was coming back from an illness, so maybe GP caught the illness too. I don't know. But to throw up on the court and then have to run to the locker room, to me, I feel like you were getting a little loose the night before. That's just me, though. Just saying. Yeah, I, I, I've been a guy. I've been a guy that may have gone out on a Friday night and then showed up to the court Saturday morning. Right? I've been that guy. <laughs> right? You sweat it off about halfway through the second quarter. <laughs> Right? I mean, that's just that's the reality of it. We've all been there, done that. If not, well, you should try it once. No. <laughs> I know that is right. Rob in Oakland hit us up on the don'tbebroke.com text line. That's 69187, keyword R&R. He actually hit us up a couple times, uh, a couple good texts here. Uh, Damar Hamlin got a ton of attention for cover- recovering from the cardiac arrest on the field. Good thing the doctors and defibrillators were there, and they reestablished the heartbeat on the field. DJ Hayden surviving his injury is more miraculous. He tore his IVC, that's right, uh, inferior uh, vena cava. Now, obviously, I'm not that, uh, that doctor guy. The main vein that carries the vast majority of the oxygen, poor blood, uh, from body below the diaphragm back to the heart. Depending on the size of the tear, this could lead to a catastrophic uh, hemorrhage and require surgical repair. He's super lucky the trainer got to him in the hospital. He really could have died. That's Robin Oakland. Yeah, we were talking about DJ Hayden with Mike, Mike Sando, and that, I knew it was a big time. Like, I remember seeing the special on him, and they said basically he just about died on the field. And I remember when the Raiders drafted him, I remember the conversation was they were willing to take him at number three, but nobody was willing to take him at number three. So when they traded back to number 12, with Miami and only got a second round pick out of it, an extra second round pick. I was thought that that was tragic, but uh, as Mike Sandel just rolled out, and I had never heard the the conversation that he was just having about it. Got late in the in the process, and you know the, the the clock is ticking down, and basically they just took whatever they can get. So they might as well just stay there at number three, but except for they they saved some money by not having to pay him number three overall money instead number twelve number overall money. I never thought that was a good selection, though. I thought you could have got him much later in the process. So there's that. Yeah, it's one of those situations where you don't want to be callous about it. Well, not so much because the pick didn't work out anyway, but may, maybe not take him in the first round at all. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, like I said, and I didn't think that the Raiders at that time were in position to grab a guy that they knew were, was coming back from something like that. Right? There's certain teams that were already established that are really good teams that if you go and get that guy and he pans out and, and you know, he can – he can rehab and not have to be forced onto the field so quickly. He can rehab and kind of get, get everything back under him. He could be a good player. And, I mean, look, DJ Hayden carved out a little bit of a career for himself. You know, he, he stuck around the league a little bit. I think he went to Jacksonville and Detroit and maybe another team or two. But he, just, he was expected to be the – I mean, he's the number 12 overall pick. So he's expected to go out there and also be the shutdown corner, and he's still trying to get his legs under him. I mean, he just went through this massive surgery. So – I never felt like he had a chance, and I didn't think the Raiders were a good team to select him just because he was going to be forced onto the field 
so quickly. So that was the first text from uh, text from Rob in Oakland. Then he said, uh, he's talking about Khalil Mack. I remember Khalil Mack developed a knack for making game-winning stuff, sacks and fumbles in crucial moments. I hope drafting Tyree Wilson will allow Mack – Max to get a bit of more rest during the games and take less snaps throughout the season. That may leave him more energy to take the next step in his career and make those game-winning plays in critical moments. I can't ask Max to do more, per se, but that skill win games and defining careers. Uh, that's from Rob in Oakland. And yeah, that's, that's, a, that's what I would like to see. And that kind of goes back to our question that we asked earlier about what Raider veteran are you looking to take that next step this season? Who, who is it that takes that next step? That's what I would like to see when it comes to Max Crosby. Be the closer. The Raiders need a closer. They need a guy when it's third and 12 and you know that, hey, this play is coming. You've got to get this stop. He, he's got to be that guy. But the problem is, going back to Rob said, he plays all the time. He had almost 1,100 snaps played in 2022. I mean, he doesn't come off the field because he can't. Because who's going to back him up? I mean, hell, Fenn could go out there. Right? I mean, it looked like they put Finn out there last year a couple times. Yes, I just looked forward. He played on 96%. That's what I'm of saying. He can't snaps. do much more. So, uh, Rob is exactly right. Tyree Wilson hopefully can allow Max Crosby to come off the field and catch a little bit of his breath and maybe be fresh towards the end of games. Uh, obviously, Tyree Wilson, the addition, hopefully he's able to get out there with Max Crosby and be a force. And again, like I keep saying, hopefully he's out there with Chandler Jones and Max Crosby and they could be a little NASCAR package. That is what I'm really looking forward to. That's going to help all those guys. And as opposed to Nick Posa, the defensive player of the year, only played in 74% of the 49ers' defensive snaps. Wow. So I do think that that goes to show a little yeah. bit of that's, – that's a 20% difference right there on being on the field where Max Crosby, where sometimes, hey, he's not, he can't finish. Well, he doesn't have the energy to. So. Right. And he, and he gives everything, and he, he gets after it. And, I mean, he's still bringing it. And, you know, even going back to that Thursday night loss against the Rams when they went 98 yards with no timeouts, I mean, look, he's held in the end zone. One, that should be a safety. It's a safety. The game's over. He gets a sack on Baker Mayfield. Jerry Tillery knocks the ball out of, out of uh, Mayfield's hands or out of the official's hands and gets a penalty. So that sack right there could probably end the game if Tillery doesn't get that stupid penalty. So now, not only is he working against the other team, he's working against his own damn teammates. Right? So he's like, damn, guys, help me out. And then all of a sudden, a ball goes sailing over whatever cornerback that was that was out there. Was it Sam Webb that was playing? The, I, I forget if it was Sam Webb that was out there, and the coverage was a bad call. It was basically the same thing that uh, that Greg Williams had at when the when the Jets, you know, basically lined up, a zero. Yeah, and had Henry Ruggs right, run right past them when you know that they need a touchdown. They had uh, Sam Webb. I believe it was Sam Webb. If it wasn't Sam Webb, I apologize to to Sam. But I think it was Sam Webb that was out there uh, lined up, and and I mean it's just one thing after the other. So when he is closing the game, then something happens, and it's like, yeah, you closed it, Max, but you didn't really close it because here comes this penalty or here comes this bad play. Yeah, that's something that'd be interesting to see. But I'm not, I, know, I know that he would necessarily, he would say, keep me out there for every snap. But if him playing the entire season, Nick Bosa's 746 snaps can play, compared to Max's almost 1,100. Almost 1,100. Where that's, you gotta just think he would be more productive if he's not out there every day. Yeah, less is more. Play, yes. Yeah, less is more. Less is more. If he's able to be fresh towards the end of the games and he could just pin his ears back and go. Yeah, I actually had a guy call my uh, my, my podcast voicemail line, and it was on today's show, and he said he thought Max Crosby was overrated. Oh, he doesn't really do this well. I was like, are you serious? Like, I, hey, man, I respect your opinion, but, dog, 1,100 snaps is what he had, man. The dude is giving everything he got and then some. But I'll tell you, his next step, going back to our subject that we had, his next step and being the player that he wants to be, not the player I want him to be, the player he wants to be. Remember, he said he wants to be a Hall of Famer at one point. He said that on this very show. For him to be that Hall of Fame quality guy, 
he's going to have to start closing out some games for the Raiders. And the team is going to have to help him, but he's going to have to be that guy, that closer, like Rob said. He's going to have to be that guy that gets a strip sack at the end, a guy who bats the ball down at the end, a guy who gets that sack at the end, a guy who comes up with an interception or takes it back to the house like J.J. Watt when he was in his prime. Remember he was J.J. Swat? Get your hands up and knock the ball down. He's got to make those game-changing plays at the end of the game that seals the deal for the Raiders to take that next step. I know we say that and we're talking about Max here now, but who on that defensive line do you think is going to be that, that number two? Because I don't think – Number you, two pass rusher? Yeah, exactly. Or number who, two player? That num, Number two on that defensive line, however you want to quantify that. That's a good question. I think – okay, so Max is number one, obviously. I believe – Oh, man, and I, I know this is going to sound like my Alabama, like my my love for Alabama, but I really think that Byron Young is going to be a big force. I think he's going to be a factor because he can stuff the run, right? And if you can stuff the run on first and second down, then what? Then you get third and long. So I think that he's going to have such a big influence on what happens on this Raiders defensive line. I think he's going to be big, and then obviously Tyree Wilson, him and, him and Chandler Jones, I think they're going to kind of – they're, they're, they're going to be just as important. They're going to be, you know, level two important. But I think that, that, that having that, that rush, that run stuffer mm-hmm. is going to help the Raiders in such an important uh, way so they start to see more third and longs. All right, I want to stay here for a little bit more. Do you think that Byron Young gets more playing time than Bilal Nichols? Yes. Ooh. For some reason. I just, and it's just gut feeling. I mean, and sometimes my gut feeling is right. Sometimes my gut feeling is gas. Right, I say it all the time, you know, and, and, and still the jury's out on what it really is. But for some reason, I just feel like with the, the different players that the Raiders have drafted and brought in in free agency, I just feel like that Butler and Nichols and, and, uh, and Fer- Ferrell Jr., are, I think that those guys are really going to be fighting for, for their position, right? I think they're really going to fight to show what they're, what they're worth. And especially with the youngsters. I mean, I know Nichols was a guy that they signed as a free agent. But, you know, Butler and, and Farrell Jr., those guys were, uh, you know, draft picks a year ago. I think that they've got a big summer as well. I think that they've got to get a lot done during training camp. All right, that's all you got? Cool. 442 is the time. That's all. DeMond turned his, his, his mic on just to give me the hand signal to take a break. What kind of sense did that make? It's like me telling Finn, don't send me a text. Use the mic. I mean, you turned the mic on, and then you gave me the hand signal. All right, you got me there. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not here to defend myself. 442 is the time. It's Red Edge Radio 920. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness with your boy Q. You know, as I check up on the rest of our shows around our building here, Las Vegas Sports Network, and we have some really good shows going on. Cofield and Company is going on our sister station ESPN Las Vegas. We got the VGK Insiders going on on Fox Sports Las Vegas. I just saw a picture tweeted out from Ryan, the hockey guy. Him and Darren Millard do the VGK show. And, of course, VGK, shout out to the Golden Knights. Big victory that they had. They whooped They whooped Edmonton last night to take a 2-1 lead in their series. Tomorrow at Buffalo Wild Wings. And Do you know which Buffalo Wild Wings it is? I guess shame on me for not knowing. Uh, no, but I know the one yesterday. This doesn't help, but I looked at the address. <laughs> But I looked because I was like, oh, yeah, let's go tomorrow. There was yes. one. They were all the way out there. They were close to where you were. Yeah, yeah, and I was they're, like, mm. they're over off of, uh, Eastern and St. Rose. Yeah, can't yeah. do it. Yeah, they were by my house. I almost <laughs> went by. That was on Saturday. That's when they got whooped. I'm glad I didn't go by there. But they're having a big uh, VGK watch party tomorrow at Buffalo Wild Wings. I'll find out the uh, the exact location, and I'll definitely pass that along because uh, definitely want. Hopefully every- it's the one right around the corner on Wallapai or something. <laughs> you know, well, I'm uh, hoping it's the one next to the house. <laughs> and then I can go. But, no, uh, seriously, uh, I'll get the, the, the address tomorrow so we can encourage you all to go out to that one and, and support the Vegas Golden Knights if you're here locally. But I'm looking at this picture that Ryan the Hockey Guy just tweeted out. 
Not only does he invent words, he uses two mics when one will do. It's a picture of Darren Millard in studio talking into two mics at the same time. Now, I think I have a lot to say on the show, but there's never a time. I think JT has a lot to say. I don't think there's ever a time that either one of us think that we need to use two mics. Darren Millard is using two mics at one time while he's talking. We'll have to ask Jared. Jared's over there instead of uh, Chapman. Chapman's out of town doing something and think he got another job or something, so he's out of town doing something. Oh, is that what happened? Oh, that wasn't knowledge? Oh. Oh, my bad. (laughs) I thought everyone knew that. Okay, never mind. Anyway. I need a vacation as well. (laughs) Chapman's on assignment. (laughs) He's on assignment. Just kidding. There you go. So I mean, if I have one victory, though, there, there is a lot to talk about. There is. After they gave, you know, VGK, was it 5-1 the, the previous game? Yeah. I mean, to come back and put the beat down the exact same way? Yeah, that was cool. Did you see the one picture with uh, Ryan Reeves and the fan? Mm-mm. Oh, man, it's not Ryan Reeves. Yeah, but basically, it was one of the players, like, um, on the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. He's up against the ice just smiling. There's a VGK fan uh-uh. giving him the finger just uh-uh. through the glass. Nice. You know, down 5-1, but still. Right, I right. love the uh the I'm about to say, I thought Revo played on, what, New York? Isn't he on the Yeah, Rangers? yeah, so I was, yeah. I'm thinking He's of the other ex, guy. Yeah, ex-Golden Knight. There you go. All right, well, that's our VGK uh, update for the day. So shout-out to Darren Millard, who's using two microphones currently on uh, Fox Sports Las Vegas. Going back to our dobybroke.com text line, a 69187 keyword R&R. Jordan, Utah County, is talking about players that he's looking to step up this upcoming season. He said, I'm looking at Brandon Parker. To me, it seemed like he was going to be the starting right tackle last year before he tore his tri-step. I, I believe he'll get, win the starting spot at right tackle this year, and Jermaine Illuminor will move to right guard over bars. So, Brandon Parker. You know, it did look like that because he was playing in the preseason. He was, I mean, I thought he was doing okay for the preseason. Uh, there was moments, you know, where he, he was struggling. I think that he's really good as far as depth. I don't look at him as a starter. I just don't. But it did look like that. Like Jordan said, it looked like it was shaping up to be that way last year, honestly. But it seemed like last year there was no idea who was going to be the right tackle anyway. Yeah, he, he was one of those guys where he was winning me over when it comes to the after, um, the after practice, you know, media sessions where he was one of those guys that said, yeah, we hear it all. Yeah. I know what people are saying about me, and that's going to, you know, fill me up. That's going to fill me to be even better this coming season. You know, unfortunately, he was injured. But I do like that when a player says, yeah, everybody says that, I'm, that I sucked last year. And they <laughs> kind of were right. <laughs> but this year I'm going to come back and prove them wrong. To have that self-awareness, I just love it when someone can have that honesty. So for just that part alone, I'm rooting for him at least I'll to be better. Jermaine Illuminor and Brandon Parker, you know, most players say, oh, I don't hear any of the outside noise. I don't pay attention to that. They were like, yeah, we hear it. They were like super honest. Yeah, yeah, we hear all of that stuff. Jermaine Illuminor, he even got a little, you know, he got a little froggy at times, you know, where he was like, you know, that's that sucks to hear that. Like he, I mean, he was always a good interview after the game, win or lose, because he would always tell you the honest truth. And I remember after that Charger game, the first game of the season, uh, I asked him about Khalil Mack getting the best of him a couple times, and he was like, <sighs> I knew that was coming. You know, I knew that move. Like he was, no, he wasn't talking about my question, but he was oh, okay. like, I knew that the move was coming. And, and I stopped him the other times, but the one that he beat me, that's the blank that everyone's talking about, right? And so he's like, you know, he's like, that just burns me up. Not against you, but it just burns me up because I gave it up. So he was always honest, man. So I could always appreciate that. I want to see how this offensive line, how this competition shakes out in training camp. I really do. I know that you know they this this offensive line, at least a version of it, helped lead the league in rushing. We hear that every time we talk about the offensive line. Oh, they're not that bad. They're not that bad. Yeah, they're not that bad. But they could be better, right? And that's that's all I'm saying is that the offensive line it wasn't that bad. It did a really good job blocking. Josh Jacobs had a hell of a season. Obviously, 1,600 plus yards. 
it could be better. There's no doubt it could be better. It could be a lot better. And Jimmy G, in particular, is going to need it to be a lot better. He is a guy that you have to keep upright. Yeah, he can move a little bit in the pocket, but this dude, you don't want him taking hits. If he takes multiple hits, then you're going to look at Brian Hoyer, and you're going to say, okay, see what this guy's got. No one is trying to – no one wants Including that. Brian Hoyer. Brian Hoyer's like, hey, I'll, I'll be the you know, backup quarterback. I'll help with scout team. I'll get, you, I'll get the guys ready during practice week. I'll be the coach on the field, but I'll be off the field. right? He knows that you know, at this stage of the game he's a good backup, but you don't want to see him out there. I mean, you just don't. He's a better backup than some. Mm-hmm. right? I'd rather see him out there than Chase Garbers. No disrespect to Chase, but, I mean, he's only second year in the league. So I'd rather see Brian Hoyer because at least he knows what he's doing. But come on, man. Yeah, so for me, uh, keeping on the offensive line for just a little bit, where I want to see that competition because I feel like I've, just the narrative that I've created in my own head that I think that their right tackle position is not it when it comes to who's mm-hmm. going to be the starter because so many players, they say, hey, they want it, but but who actually wants it? Because it's a lot of pressure that's going to come with that position when you can look on the other side and say, Colton's got that locked down. Right. Where you can say it's between you guys who really wants it because I think what if we do the math, like it's three or four guys that are competing mm-hmm. for that spot alone. Yeah, no, there's a lot of there's a lot of bodies, right? I just want to see how these bodies are weeded out, how they weed through them and, and decide who's going to be the starting five. And again, you can't wait till week eight to determine who your starting five is going to be. There's none of that juggling the offensive line throughout the course of the season. They've got to get this knocked out during OTAs, during training camp, during preseason. By the time that 53-man roster is set and they get ready for week one and we'll know who that week one opponent is coming up in a couple days, they've got to know who their starting five is. If they don't know who their starting five is, that is a fail, straight up. Oh, yeah, especially after what we saw last year. It should be not even week one, the end of the right. last preseason But game. I'll give them the week one. I'll give them the oh, week okay. one. Like, hell, take till September. It's cool because nothing matters until that first game. So I'll give you till then. But if they don't know who their starting five is by then, that's a problem. And we also talked what Bart Scott mentioned it to us when he was on the show Friday. Are you going to be a little concerned or where it does like see, hey, this guy's getting cut and they do bring in some of those veteran offensive linemen? Because right now we're kind of still asking for a proud free agency. Mm-hmm. But if OTAs get underway and then they start bringing in some of those guys that are still right. out there, are right. you going to be worried? Yeah, that means that they're not, yeah. they're not seeing what they want to see in camp. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that, that's a good point. And that's why it was great to have Bart on because he could bring it from another perspective, a guy who's been there and done that. that was, we've got to do that again. I don't know what kind of festival we've got to get to throw <laughs> to get Bart Scott to come from New York to, to Vegas, but we've got to get him in studio again. This, next time, instead of a half an hour, we'll do like a whole hour. We'll do the power hour. You know, on his show, he always does, it's the power hour, hour. Hour. We forgot to have him do that, too. That's always the third hour of the show. <laughs> and it was the third hour of our show, so we should have had him kick it off by doing that. I'm just saying. Next time. Yeah, we'll have to get him back out here. Let's go ahead and make that call. Sir Whiskey Ray, hit us up. Q&D. Happy Tuesday, gentlemen. It's great to be back after a wild weekend in San Diego. My 45-year-old liver is hurting, and it's not because I ate $1 steaks this past weekend. LOL. Q. Dubs are one game away from being eliminated. How you feeling today? I'm not going to be happy until my Lakers win the fourth win this series. Dubs will not go out without a fight. That's on the real. Just a few days from now, the NFL will release a 2023 schedule. Like everyone else, I'm pumped for dates. I have to ask, will you and DeMond go on road trip games this season? I think it'd be a great idea just throwing it out there. Thanks, as always, gentlemen. Just want to check in as I'm in recovery mode from this past weekend. Lakers. That's from Sir Whiskey Ray. And thank you for the text, my man. Glad that you're okay. Make sure that liver recovers. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes (laughs) we'll go on the road, but 
a lot of times we're more valuable here in town to the company and to the radio station and to what we do around here. So sometimes we'll go on the road. Can't guarantee it, but we will know the dates, at least coming up at the end of the week. It's Radio 920. Have a good one.